Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Fitbit Pod. My name is Ben Lomas, and with me always is Dilruk Jaya Singer. Hello, Benjamin. Nice to see you again. Uh, we have a wonderful guest joining us yes. uh, from their work, which is exciting. I feel really guilty that we created this <laughs> Zoom call over work, uh, but is a, uh, our guest is a fantastic stand-up comedian who uh, started about two, three years ago, but is already making amazing waves in the scene. So please welcome to Fitbit, Irvi Majumda. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. Mate, thank you for coming along. So yeah, yeah. you literally, I assumed you had the day <laughs> off when you said, yeah, I can do 10 a.m. on a Friday. <laughs> um, I started working out early. My work's pretty good. They're really um, flexible. So I work at Footscray Arts Centre. And um, yeah, if I just come in early, I can do this in between. I'm actually in our recording. We have like a podcast recording studio here. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's oh, like, that's well, pretty it's cool. Crazy. Yeah. It's um, funny so they're because... also encouraging this is the arts after all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm helping. But it's weird because in the background, it actually looks like there's windows and it's nighttime. So I feel like you're overseas. <laughs> yeah, that's just like a. That's just soundproof, um, soundproof room a bit because there's always kids screaming around here. Oh, okay. I, can yeah. I can imagine. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, thanks for coming in an hour early so you can record our silly little podcast. Yeah, you better make it that. worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks. Uh, so, basically, as I was explaining you know, to you, the premise of the show mm-hmm. is just really we love to chat to people about what they do and, uh, uh, you know, how they stay healthy or not healthy or every all aspects of it. We love talking vices and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things as a jumping off spot I want to talk about is fruit. And yeah. uh, one of my favorite bits about stand-up that you have is around your the fact that you don't love fruit and why you don't love it. So could you just share that with our listeners? Yeah, yeah totally. So I think um, in this year's show, I was talking about how my parents, um, because they immigrated from India when I was six, so bless them, they just were they just go all out on like saving money. So I couldn't get that when I was small because. Um, they would, it's like you go to like a grocery store and then instead of buying like the normal stuff on the shelf, my dad will go to the side and like buy, I don't know, like 20 apples, but they're all rotten. So <laughs> it's just like I've got into really bad practices growing up. I was just like, I hate fruit because it's always off. Um, like bananas are always brown, strawberries just like have bits of mold. So I was like, why would anyone eat this? Um, yeah, he's like, we're brown, so there's no white food in here. We're just getting yeah. all the brown stuff. Brown bananas, <laughs> brown rice, <laughs> brown bread. Yeah, br- yeah, it's just like everything has to be brown. So I think when I started going to my friends' houses and um, all my friends are way healthier than me because they got taught to eat fruit properly. So um, and I'm trying to like reparent myself and eat fruit and vegetables. But, <laughs> but I find so that funny. so funny that growing up, your image of fruit was just ah, oh, this is really this apple's just really brown. Like this yeah. is this is a bit off. Like the whole point of it is to encourage kids to get excited about it, and then ultimately, then they did the opposite. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was just like that acidic taste, and like everything tastes like mold um <laughs> so it's hard but i think my parents um they tried their best so they i think they weren't so fully um because my dad's very strict so um we weren't allowed to have um any sweets and like um just like coke and stuff like that but that just made me 
turn into like a super addictive personality when I was older. Um, so. this, oh, but this yeah. is really interesting because I had the same thing, Irvi. My mum and dad, especially my mum, was, uh, you know, we'd only shop at the health food store, the one down the road. Mm. I didn't get to have a normal ice cream. It was just crushed fruit <laughs> pressed together with a carob koala. And I was Whoa. like, this, this is not a chocolate stick. But then when you go to like another kid's party, and you have a chance to eat bad junk yeah. food. I used to just binge and sometimes even throw up at kids' parties. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think there's a lot of truth to the, uh, that for even me where alcohol, for example, was something that I never was like eased into. Mm. Um, as a so, child. <laughs> as, well, you know, yeah, okay, that's fair. That's a good point. But like, do you know what I mean? In Australia, I feel like, kids tend to like have a beer maybe one beer you're allowed at a 16th birthday or whatever things yeah. like that with your parents whereas i came here as a 19 year old um uh, without the, for the first time without the supervision of mom and dad and all of a sudden i was like for well, fuck yeah let's let's just go hard now and totally. i feel like there's an element of if they had potentially not made it so taboo or so like you know, a thing that isn't um, that coveted that maybe I might have not gone that hard early in, in my uni years. You know what I mean? I would be yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, I'll do it on the weekend as opposed to every fucking night. <laughs> because <laughs> my sense of yeah. identity was so like self-esteem was linked to the fact that I could drink so much and, uh, you know, so quickly. But- <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm the coolest. But yeah. Evie, when your parents migrated, like they 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 come to a new place, uh, you know, it's new food, fu- yeah, new food, new culture. Was mm-hmm. the aim was just to get the fruit to save money to to sort of you know make ends meet? But were they strict? Was like it's always health food? Is it always you got to eat healthy? You got to eat healthy? Or do they give you well, any leeway? I think in Indian culture, it's the now that we're older, we're realizing that what they told us was healthy wasn't really that healthy anyway. Like it's a lot um, of I don't know about. Yeah, they're like, oh, eating fat. Like one time my dad was like, opened a can of condensed milk and was like, just drink this. (laughs) And I remember (laughs) being like, no, I hate it. Anything, anything dairy is like, they're obsessed. Um, That's good for your bones, you know, (laughs) vitamin A or whatever. (laughs) And condensed milk, you can't get any more sugar into it. I know. Can I just say, condensed milk is probably my favorite, one of my absolute favorite things from the supermarket. Back when I used to do like full on cheat days, I used to get condensed milk and have it ready. And I'd I'd put it literally on roti. I'd put it on bread. I'd put it on toast. I'd have it with rice if I could. But I, okay, I never did it with rice. But yeah, the roti and stuff is true, right? And when we were in Sri Lanka, we had this thing where in school, uh, they had a, to encourage students to not miss uh, um, classes or uh, uh, attendance or whatever, that um, you would get rewarded with certain points or whatever. And at the end of the month, you can use your little coupon to go buy stuff from the from the little grocery store in this school. Yeah. And it is to encourage, you know, obviously there were certain kids who were quite poor and stuff like that. And so sometimes what you would do is you'd, you'd donate yours to a, a poor child or whatever. But I would go and get condensed milk. Would school, you do yeah. that? So, so you'd buy another kid's lunch? Not lunch, like groceries. You you can only like, it's oh, stuff that you okay. take home. So it'll be I like just a, imagine the hierarchy in the school ground going, I've got to wait until Dill buys me lunch. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, I think it was once a month and it, it didn't last long, sadly. But anyway, I remember condensed milk was like top dollar and yeah. you'd get it yeah. and it was the first time. And again, no parents around. So you just drink it. <laughs> like, 
Oh man, yeah, I love it so it. fucking much. Because I didn't know condensed know. milk till I went to Asia. That was the only time. That's a fair, in my twenties. I didn't even know really? I had condensed milk yeah. until it's an Asian thing. Yeah, it was just poured over. Yeah, one of like my favorite Chinese, things to do. Uh, yeah, Irvi, have you done the the Vietnamese iced coffee? The Oof. where you just basically uh, put, yeah. put condensed milk in it. So you're not you. So you you yeah. have an aversion to condensed milk after your. After I can't. Yeah, and I think <laughs> just milk in general because um they were obsessed with drinking. It's like this um well on the one hand they didn't want to use up you know Milo's expensive so we weren't allowed to use too much Milo but they'd make like a whole cup of really like lukewarm milk and then just put a tiny bit of Milo in it and then make us drink it every day. Um, but that just makes me want to like throw up now. Even today, if I call my mom today, can you drink your milk? Is it? Like how's the milk going? So yeah. it's milk with rice. Um, even in India, it's like a it's like a nice thing for old people. They um when they have like a cup of tea, they'll take the skim of like the like fat off the top of the milk and oh, then like yeah. feed it to you. And I was like, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> because I see everything that you're describing as being uh, awful is what I grew up you with love. and I loved. That I loved, because, but I grew up with the same stuff, except for the yeah. fruit stuff that, that yeah. I can't relate to. But I guess that is growing up in Sri Lanka, fruits would have been cheaper or whatever. Yeah, but what I do relate to is the treatment of milk and how, like, mm. even when I used to swim competitively for my school, um, after you finished, we'd, a part of, like, you know, nutrition, we'd get a cup of milk with uh. sugar in it. Just a cup of milk with sugar. And you Where, where did milk become the source of like magic know. nectar to create sports people? Yeah, they love it. I guess maybe, I'm, I have no idea, but I guess I'll probably get, um, what's that disease that women get um, when your bones all get all weak? Oh, uh, osteoporosis. osteoporosis. Yeah, <laughs> can't even say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, it's meant to be good, but I think they have like weird, again, like they eat like, you know, huge tubs of rice and that's not good for you either. So oh, just... <laughs> mate. Oh, again, see that? I can't, like, for me, rice is, I, I could eat rice with tomato sauce. That I have. Done. Oh, really? Like, yeah. I love like, rice so much. And again, like, school, I'd have rice for breakfast, rice oh, for lunch. Oh, my mom did that, yeah. Uh, can I, can we swap? Can we do like a... <laughs> yeah, you should come over. Yeah, I'd come... love you. Oh, mate, honestly. If you're right... in Canberra ever, they will literally, they're like, tell anyone to Canberra to come and have um, like dinner and stuff. So then if you love rice, you'll get along with them. <laughs> so did you, how old were you, were you born in Australia? Or did you migrate with them? Um, I was, yeah, I was six, you know, at home. Um, yeah, I was six. So we moved to um, like Carnegie, which is like super white back then. Um, oh, was the first place. So <laughs> <Yeah>. white. <laughs> it was oh like the God. whitest place ever. And um, yeah, I, I, I didn't like that primary school much. No offense to Carnegie listeners. Um, but then I moved to Oakley and that was a lot better because we had, I think, you know, the Greeks going through and a lot of more migrant families there. So that was cool. Yeah, oh, that okay. would have been. That would have been. And so, how did that work? Because because Carnegie is is just super white slash working class now, middle class, and then you yeah. move over to Oakley, which is a huge Greek community, but also it's quite diverse. So, did you notice the big difference going from from uh, the school? So, did you have friends in Carnegie, or wasn't until you got to Oakley that it, you felt um, a bit more comfortable? I had one friend who was also um, Jessica um, in Carnegie, but. The school vibe generally was just like, yeah, there was only like one other brown person. Um, and, you know, when you're like kind of pitted against each other, you're like, 
like weirdly competitive, even though um, it's like you're both on the same team. So like relax. Uh, yeah. They do that. That's what the colonies did. They divided the the tribes totally, yeah. so that they would fight amongst each other, and then you just yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. it was divide and conquer. So um, yeah. Yeah, that school generally, I think, for some reason, just was pretty cold. And then um, when I moved to Houston, uh, which is just near Oakley, there was a lot smaller school and we had like cool teachers and stuff and a more arts focus. So that was cool. How old were you when you moved to Oakley? Uh, I was in grade three or four. You, yeah. What, what age is that? Sorry. Maybe nine or eight or nine. Oh, so you had three years of that uh, initial. Yeah. Was that because yeah. you'd have memory? Obviously, as a six-year-old, you have memories of life in India, and then yeah. you come to this country that is so opposite to what you might have been around. Whereabouts in India were you when you grew up? Um, in well, so I grew up mostly in Bangalore, but I was born in Kolkata. But oh, my dad, okay. yeah, I think that's where he was like always super aspirational. Um, so he had a pretty good job in um in Bangalore. I think. The, I think it was just like a big shock for them even because usually we'd have like a mate. sounds like that's our problems, but like usually you'd have like a maid or someone helping out at home with like a lot of the housework. And mm -hmm. so mom, my mom having to come here and just do everything um, from scratch yeah. and yeah. dad working and kind of just not having, now that I'm like growing up and thinking about, you know, like property and things like that, um, they didn't have anyone, you know, helping them in terms of parents with money and well, and, so, and that's yeah. that's a fascinating thing uh, about what you say about maids and stuff like it's so mm -hmm. not it's so common rather in in Sri Lanka and India to have like maids and drivers yeah. and all like a like um like a chef that comes in cooks your food <laughs> yeah. and then fucks off and goes to another house and cooks the food like you know what I mean like totally. you know it's such an interesting thing for a country for countries like the subcontinent which are considered you know third world or lower socio uh you know economic mm. place will have all these other services like nannies and things like that that yeah. are so much more affordable yeah totally and I think when I first moved here for some reason I was like super confident for like one it's kind of sad because when I look back at when I what how I was when I first came here um I just remember not I, I can kind of remember that process of feeling like you're the weird one but like when I first got yeah. here I was like I'm the normal one um and so I think when I first uh, apparently on the first day of school I remember the teacher was like um can you tell us where you're from and so I just told her like my street address in Bangalore I was like NGF layout in Bangalore and she's like no where are you oh, actually no. from because <laughs> I, I was like I don't get um I didn't get like I was just like from somewhere else so yeah it was kind of yeah. yeah and they talk about that don't they we they, it's, it's you feel like it's just an instagram post or whatever a feel-good one but it's true like race and things like that aren't yeah. really issues amongst babies yeah like totally. they're so not programmed to think of things as the other or different because their own worldview is still new and fresh yeah. yeah that you wouldn't realize you're different quote-unquote unless people pointed it out to you tell you that like yeah, it took exactly. me like six months to realize i was fat it was only when the bully started like <laughs> calling me fat when I went, oh, am I? What, you're, exactly. looking at, you're not looking at yourself in the mirror thinking there's something, you know, something you wrong. make yeah. fun of you about. But it's only when people started calling me chubby and fat. And I was like, what's wrong with him? And then I looked in the mirror. I'm like, oh, I do have titties. <laughs> did, did, it's so bad. Did, did you ever get protected? Because I think about when we migrated from Holland, like no one, everyone just thought I was an Aussie, but it wasn't until they heard my mum speak that they realised we came uh, from somewhere else. And I remember I used to get very protective of my parents when, when like other kids would talk about it. Did you ever get protective of your parents? Um, I would if they ever, if they didn't really say too much about my parents, but um, I think, yeah, mostly in my teenage years I was like, 
through mum and dad, but um, that was like when I was older. <laughs> like I just threw them under the bus a lot. But um, yeah. we also, it was like, you know, I think at that stage when I was smaller, um, there wasn't really much conflict between me and my parents because we were all on the same team. So um, yeah, because yeah. you've got a sister as well, don't you? Yeah, I was protective of her. Like I thought it was like two, because um, I had my best friend in Carnegie and she had a younger sister the same age as my sister. Um, so we'd always... I just basically took my sister away from her buddy and like um, just didn't let her have any other friends apart from my sister. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my no. god! Um, but yeah, going back, I mean that's an interesting thing, isn't it, Ben? Because uh, not to get too heavy on race already, but mm-hmm. like the fact that you were a white kid meant that there was no issue yeah. about you know you and accepting you as one of the classmates but obviously totally. having a different skin color immediately mm. you're constantly reminded of being something else or something different like suren jaramano who's been on the pod has talked about this he's born in australia his parents are sri lankan mm. but he's he's been in australia longer than probably ben you have yet to date he never necessarily feels like he's you know like as in he's always constantly is asked questions like oh where are you from or what's yeah. your heritage or whatever which might come from a good place but over time it it is kind of draining but then he told me when he went to sri lanka itself for the first time as a 30 year old even there he felt like he didn't quite belong so it's almost mm. like this weird identity crisis because you don't you're not fully sri lankan enough to be in sri lanka nor are you aussie enough to be in australia and it all just comes down to the skin color yeah, uh, it's really it, crazy. It, it, it's so true because the I, I remember it clearly the day that we realised we were different is it was in primary school, it was grade one, and then you know, my mum... You were the only one wearing clogs? The, uh, <laughs> I was there with a little Dutch uh, outfit. No, but I remember because we grew up in North Carlton, so uh, therefore yeah. everyone was like Greeks and Italians, and we were mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, we're from Europe as well. And then I remember that mum was reading in front of the class and then she started doing it in the thickest Dutch accent and people started to laugh. Yeah, I, was like, I hated what, that. What the it's fuck? Crazy. Like, hang on, what are you, hang on, no, this is like normal. And I remember, like, I was like, what are you laughing at? This is my mum, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. Now, 30 years on, I hear the Dutch accent, I still laugh now. <laughs> but <laughs> you time, do it, you lean on the Dutch accent. I love you it, I love it. doing it on Nova Radio last <laughs> night. So don't fucking try to pretend like you don't like, I was the first, it's like, ah, oh, but yeah, no, but totally, it's no. the same thing where it's like, you know, like I remember getting called a, you know, a wog in clogs. And I was like, what the hell? Fuck, elf on a shelf. So, yeah, so I was just like, oh, walking clogs. Walking clogs. So I was like, oh, No, gee. totally. That's, um, that's really, I, I feel like, you know, moments where you just like want, want people to be accepting of your parents for sure. Now, for me, Irvi, I, I recognize certain things that as a 19-year-old when I came to Australia that was created out of feeling like wanting to belong and, and insecurities of wanting to fit in and things like that, that are still things that I'm working to, like, to try and get rid of 17, 18 years later, um, starting like with the booze. Like I said, I was champion for the fact that I could drink. So all of a sudden, this guy who got no, like literally in a new country and never been before, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, you're the Sri Lankan guy that can skull beer. So obviously, my <laughs> sense of value or whatever was linked to that, and you let, latch onto it. Do you know or, or have recognized anything that the fears and anxieties that come with moving to a new country as a six-year-old that then you started to adopt to try and, you know, fit in or whatever that you're trying to work against or you've, have you noticed anything that might have been set up there? Um, I think probably, uh, I think it makes you, tr- on, the, on it can be a good thing and a bad thing, but maybe um, like a tendency to be like a perfectionist or like try super hard. Like I feel like I just, um, I, yeah, I chose the career, I guess, in the arts where it's not, um, 
that's like not a typical Indian like you know career or career path but whatever I do I feel like I've always done it by myself and tried really hard at it because of like a need to fit in in a way um so I think when it's in when it's going well that's a good thing but then I can be really hard on myself and um right feel like yeah it's like it's like almost it's a it's like it's like fear and anxiety pushing that more so than like thinking actually I'm wanting yeah yeah there's <laughs> I a mean, thing like I... I want it but it's still like if I don't if I don't succeed then it's like a, um it's like it's not as bad as what I make it out to be yeah, yeah. that's fascinating yeah. to me because there is a thing I, I heard and I think about it a lot which is this sentence was like um you know your they say your superpower is very close to your wound so whatever it yeah. is that hurt you as a child or whatever is what then becomes the thing you're trying to fight against or whatever. So if you, mm. you know, take various, uh, you know, quote unquote, like geniuses or professionals or whatever, it's like Jordan getting cut from the team is what made him practice heaps. And, yeah. you know, it's Eminem getting bullied is what made him write, start writing, you know, because there was no friends to play with. He might as well just write on his own. Yeah. And the very thing that was the wound is what becomes the superpower. But they're so close to each other that sometimes it goes the wrong way. Like, the, yeah. you know, Michael Phelps talks about his ability to like analyze and look at every sort of uh, statistic when it comes to swimming mm -hmm. was what made him so successful. But also once he got into real life, he didn't know how to switch it off. So yeah. he got into severe depression because life doesn't operate in statistics like that. Like he's like, you know, <laughs> his son went to bed at this time. Why is he still tired? This is, doesn't add up, you know, like, yeah, so, totally. so I can imagine that being a thing, but go to that first part again about being perfectionist. And uh, is that a element of feeling like you want to like, you know, like a fuck you to the the haters or the naysayers or whatever that are expecting you to do a certain thing. Cause I know I have versions of that. I remember when I started doing comedy, um, it would take, I think it was like four or five years before I finally spoke about my ethnic stuff because everyone in the uh, the workshops I'd go to say, talk about being brown, talk about being brown. I'm like, fuck mm. you. There's more to me than just being brown. <laughs> like it's this totally. thing that was like, I almost was unnecessarily holding back on being myself just yeah. to not appease to the, the expectations that people had for me. Mm, yeah, I, I definitely think I, I felt the same way. It's like, you don't want to be like the brown comic that just starts talking about that. But I'm finding this this show that I did this year was um, a lot about my family. And I think yeah. I find it, it's like boring to kind of, because that was something that was like, you know, there was a lot of change and stuff in my family, um, just like my parents moving and stuff all of yeah. last year. So it's like, that's just what I felt like writing about. So. I think it's hard to just write about like random stuff that you don't care about as much. Well, as that's the thing I was going to say. Like, it, it, I I recognize it as being more of a I I let myself down because I was mm. trying to again maybe fit in and feel like I belong and feel accepted for being me and not just because I'm being brown. Whatever, like whatever those yeah. noises that I'm assuming everyone is saying limited me from talking about my life. Like literally, yeah. 19 years of who I am was kind of suppressed just so that I. I'm not a brown comic talk about being like, fuck that. <laughs> like this is, I have a fucking fascinating life with a Muslim mom and a Buddhist dad when I went yeah. to a Catholic school. I'm like, fuck anyone who's going to be, oh, he's a brown comic talk about me. I'm like, fuck you, this is my life. Yeah, I literally, literally had, Irby, do you know that gig we did together? Sorry, I'm getting really passionate here because, yeah. <laughs> because um, 
uh, uh, the gig we did together in Belgrade yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I had someone hit me up going, I was really disappointed. You you just talked about being brown the whole time. And Are I was you like, serious? There was oh a God. bits about me dating. There was bits about me uh, calling Lifeline. Classic Sri Lankan move, calling a suicide helpline. <laughs> um, that's so, I think it's like, I think it's like when you're well known or like, I, I guess people just so, there's just going to be people that are like, I'm not famous enough for that, but um, I feel like everyone who messages me is like, no one messages me is like my mom. Um, but uh, yeah, I think because yeah, I'm actual fans and probably some of them are going to be. But also, like, every, like, you know, talking about being a perfectionist, but I assume there's a big part of you as well. Uh, also, wanting to, uh, you know, uh, meet the expectations of your parents. So, you've chosen this career path. And, you know, yeah. as much as the, the stereotype goes that, you know, Indian parents can be really, really hard on their kids. So, if they deviate from that path, part of you, I assume, you know, yeah. rather than wanting to do it, but also to go, hey, dad, I did make the right choice. Yeah, I think that's the other big part. You're right. Um, it's definitely like because if I just chose this and then didn't um, and just like stuffed it up, I feel like it would just not just be myself disappointed in me. It would be like, I guess my parents would probably be like, awesome, just moving on to something else now. But um, <laughs> would just feel like I was letting, yeah, more people down. What are your parents like with um, Ben with your comedy? Um, I think at the start they were they were dubious, but I'd 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 was already I'd already picked up a degree. Yeah, I'd already, uh, you know, had done all my studies, and so I was working, you know, climbing the the uh, the beautiful ladder in local government. Oh, really? uh, yeah. But but also just knowing that, well, my parents were happy because they knew I had a steady income, and then it wasn't until like I was doing both that I was like, I couldn't I couldn't find the way to switch. I needed someone else to make the decision for me. I couldn't make the decision. I was doing full time yeah. comedy, full time work, and in yeah. the end, my parents. There's a period where you get older where you're like, parents are like, well, do what you love. And then after a while, I didn't believe them. Like, I, I don't know. I was just like, oh, you're saying that. Be do you really believe that? And it wasn't until my partner was the one that eventually was the one that got me to quit. She's like, just focus on the thing you like. You can't, you're, bur you're burning the candle at both ends. Focus yeah. on that. And so I remember the switch because I got to my partner very, uh, yeah, later on that my expectations, I, I was more wanting to know what her opinion on. Her, her opinion was in the way how I was going rather than my parents because I think yeah. you know, as an adult there's that distance you know you're making you know because I, I you know I, I left home at, at 17 so yeah. it was that same thing where you know a lot of people now younger stay in at, at home till they're like 25 which yeah. I feel like that dynamic and that relationship with a parent changes as well mm. but yeah. now, but now as a parent myself I don't want my kids to leave at 17 that would yeah. kill me yeah totally <laughs> it would, it would break me so but they've always <laughs> been supportive but also I mean then at the same time you know you lean into the fact that you know I come from a good family a middle class family I, you know mm. worst case worst case scenario I can go back to a job but now that's not even an option anymore which I'm really glad because then it fuels me to keep going otherwise it'd be like if I had something to fall back on it would be like, oh, well, then I'll do it half-assed. But now that I yeah. don't have that, it gives me more of a drive to continue. Thank mm. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I get that. There is a there's the stereotype obviously about the immigrant parents you know who come in the families that are hardworking and stuff like that. Are there uh, elements so that that was true that you could see your folks working hard and have you adopted any of those kind of work ethics and work habits from them? Yeah, totally. I think um, yeah, my parents are pretty much like yeah, my dad's like pretty much like stereotypical um, what you hear about and like Bender like Beckham and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think not all. I know like not all. Um, 
immigrant parents are like that and I get really jealous of like Indian people who have like creative like cool parents <laughs> yeah right yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah it's like what do you mean your dad just let you do that or just happy with uh, who you are so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean um, they're like proud of your yeah. choices <laughs> I know seriously um I but think is, yeah but is there a point like you know like like how the stereotype is there and they are quite hard on you mm. but did your parents like did you have to like when you know you were going to high school did they make you sit like the exams for like McGrub and Melbourne High yeah did you... I went to McGrub so that was like oh. <laughs> a big part of my life yeah <laughs> 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 so yeah. So that that, that alone to just tap into that is is McGraw and Melbourne and Melbourne High in 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 uh, in, in Victoria. They're they're, yeah. they're pretty much the private school, but they're public funded. That's pretty yeah. much how. It, and the only way you get in is to sit an insane exam, and then <laughs> yeah. only the the top you know the top you know the, you know three percent get through. Yeah. And I remember because my parents were like we don't we can't afford to send you to a private school, but we want you to go to this school. Now mm-hmm. I didn't do any study. I didn't do anything, but I'll never forget going to the exam and I was in a class and they read the call, like they, they read the call sheet and it was just like ling, 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 <laughs> ling, 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 low mass, <laughs> right? I was the only white guy in the, in the exam, right? Called low mass. And they called low mass. Yeah. And then, but then I remember this so vividly is before we walked in, there was a young, a young, uh, an Indian guy with his dad, and his dad had a textbook. Mind you, time to get to the essence, it's sing, 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 <laughs> sing. <laughs> but there was, there was a dad there going, uh, What's the element for so and so? What's the element? No, uh, you yeah, need that was my it, dad. And I was the only one there without a parent. Really? My experience is very different. That's so funny because you would have been one of the only, no offense, like white people um, like sitting the exam because it was just, our school was just full of, um, I have a joke about it in my show this year about just like, um, we, we all just called each other racial slurs because there was just, everyone was from somewhere else. So the white yeah. people were just like this group of skips and then I was like part of the curry club and it was just like, yeah. that's just what we called each other. Um yeah, that's yeah. what my Melbourne that's what my Melbourne high friend said as well. Like you just yeah, racial like slurs is just how you group together. <laughs> yeah. Well my parents, my dad was like pretty obsessed, like probably from grade six. He was like, um, there's this school and you need to go to it. Um so then from grade six to year eight, um, was basically like studying hardcore like every day. Um he'd make like holiday programs so we'd have to like study and like tell him. Oh about my god. Like, Oh my god! It was just crazy. So I think I studied harder for that than I did for my actual VCE exams because I think I basically I was like I had nightmares. It was just like so intense, and then um, like I just it was like the biggest thing in my whole life. And then when I got in, I did really well at the school for like two years, and then um, just like got hectic depression and like fucked up. I was like, oh, what's weed? What's not good? Um, From like year eleven and twelve, and just. Yeah, I think I just. Sorry, did you say really what? Just... What year eleven and twelve? I missed that. It dropped. Uh, yeah, in year eleven and twelve, um, I just like started hanging out with these guys that just smoke bongs, and I was like, oh, oh okay. I love, I love um, the weed. Lo- all of a sudden, you love apples again. <laughs> yeah, just like cool. I want to like who gets that studying. So yeah, um, I think I just looking back now in year twelve, I was like really depressed, but I just didn't know how to. I felt like my parents didn't get it, and my school was really um, academically focused. So oh, they were yeah. Supportive. Um, so, yeah, it was just like a bit of a shit year. There is a certain fucking, oh, it's scary to think the number of metrics of success that I thought were valid that I now mm. look back and go were actually so false, but also 
just set me off on the wrong track. Like mm-hmm. I remember sitting in my car after a maths exam and like nearly crying. And mom was like, are you right? She picked me up from the exam. I'm like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get a hundred on that one. Like <laughs> I got, I got 97. She's like, how do you even know? I'm like, it's maths, mom. I know where I went wrong. Like, <laughs> like the fact that I didn't get a hundred and I was pissed off about 97 is, is great. I mean, like there's a part of me that's proud of that kid who wanted that level of like, you yeah. know, achievement. But at the same time, oh, dude, you know, it's fine. You got 97. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is going back to what you were saying about being able to yeah. know when to switch it off. Use it when it services you. Yeah. And, and so things like depression, especially uh, back then, because how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 28 now. 28. So 10 years ago, the conversation sure. might have yeah. maybe started around childhood uh, mental health and things like that. Yeah. But I'm, for me, at least, I don't know if this is the same experience for you, but when it comes to subcontinental uh, families and mental health, it is mm, such a, a taboo. And, and if you feel like you are having mental issues, they get like some <laughs> sort of religious doctor or whatever to come uh, and pray totally. for you I have and this. like tap. What do you have? Um, uh, after my year 12, because um, at my school, the average the average across the year level was 96 for ABCE <laughs> score, and I got 89 six, and I, like, literally was going to kill myself. I was, like, so sad. Um, oh, man. So Wait, what did you get? Answer. What did you get? 89.6 was my answer score. That's the exact, for... exact number as my. Oh, really? Uh, well, sick. you should be very sad about that, Ovi, <laughs> if you and I yeah. were the same. <laughs> and um, I was... I was over the moon. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I couldn't stop crying for a year. My parents were like, Devis, they were like, what, like, they were like, so sad. So we went to India and then I had to get like my palms red. And then I used to have oh. two rings, but um, they gave me a ring to like keep boys away and to help me study more. Um, <laughs> and then when I met Jonathan, weirdly, one of the rings started like infecting my fingers. I'd take it off. Um, so if I'm like being cute, I could be like, oh, the one about keeping boys away like fell off my finger. But I don't know which one was which. So, ah, uh, that's so amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. A ring to keep boys away. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, that, oh, look. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Step by step, we got to go. I want to come yeah. back to the rings. <laughs> but, yeah. but, yeah, because, uh, because but I get. I, sorry, I want to stay on the depression thing, and just want to yeah. ask. So, uh, was there any way to articulate that to your folks, or any kind? Did you find there was a way to get some support um, around it, or did you find only? find the comfort in sort of those external things like weed and and stuff and then eventually be able to recognize what it was. Yeah, I think I was thinking about this the other day and because I was, I got to McCrobe but um, I really wanted to be an actor and my parents were like, oh my God, we've spent my whole life like coming to this country and like getting you to the best school we can possibly get you to and then I turn around and I'm like, I want to do acting as my career. Um, Obviously, I'd be like concerned too if I was there but I used to like get up every day at five and try and like rehearse like scripts for myself and do all this stuff and um I think from that point because they were like really like just forget about it and do your studies and stuff um from that point I started being like a post depression but like that was like two years before year 12 and I think because it just kind of we went I went to like a psych and stuff but it was um just not that helpful and, and the conflict kept going so I think after like a year and a half of that I kind of just gave up in year 12 and was like it's pointless so at yeah. that point, I wasn't interested in doing it. Like, I, even my hobbies weren't interesting me, and I just was, like, kind of dead to the world. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what age was that? Yeah, that was I was just, but just playing. Just like, yeah, I was dead to the world. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I want to read this quote from James Clear, <laughs> yeah. who I love. 
Um, it says the way someone else perceives what you do is a result of their own experience, which you can't control their own preference, which you can't predict and their own expectations, which you don't set. If your choices don't match their expectations, that is their concern, not yours. And that yeah. is true and valid, but it's that. Is that what that... you say to the audience? <laughs> Sometimes yeah. in my head, I go like, you can't please everybody, but that's the reality. Totally. I genuinely, uh, genuinely do work on that. So for example, like, when I had that negative feedback about that Belgrave gig, yeah. I'm like, well, oh, sorry there was, about that. it was 299 people laughing, mate. I can't exactly. help you. Exactly. A lot of people so... after being like, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, you just have to be tough to that for so, sure. Yeah, and that, that's that's true of what that quote is. But at the same time, it is a harder one to shake off when it comes to parents, at least for me. Mm. No matter what happens, I will still they will still have that power over me to yeah. be able to do it both ways, to say uh, a, a, the slightest bit of praise comes mm. with this amazing sense of well, like I feel <laughs> yeah. so overwhelmingly happy when they praise me. Totally. The slightest criticism where dad said, oh, yeah, I saw this old video clip of yours. It was not, uh, it's not right. very strong, yeah. is it? I'm like, mate, have you seen the work I've done since then? <laughs> and this is the dude who's watched my stand-up special 22 times. Oh like he God. loves, yeah. he loves what I do. And I get the instinct is to get really hurt by the slightest bit of criticism. Totally, but, yeah. But this is, this is where I'm having the issue now with being, is being on the other end now. So yeah. now <clears throat> it's that support with your kids. And my kids are really young, but it's that classic mm -hmm. example where it's like, I want to really encourage, but I don't want to be overbearing. And now, it's, and it's like, and it doesn't matter, like you can see your parents do it to you and you can see where mm -hmm. they supported you, where they put the pressure on. And, you know, and it all comes from a good place, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, so, and so, you know, because they want the best for you. It's just they don't know sometimes how to articulate it. And I, I'm, I, I struggle. You know, I'm a very sensitive guy. But we had something yesterday with Minka, where uh, you know Minka's reading a lot, and uh, and she, you know she's really you know focused on her writing. We really want to encourage that and be the thing. Minka and then my is your puppy, yeah. The, what's that? No, <laughs> my, my daughter. And so my my partner did the most beautiful thing uh, this morning. Is she? We were like, oh, how was a good way to tell her? Because you tell her, and she gets a bit shy. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know it's good, blah blah blah. <laughs> so my wrote Minka a letter. Um, uh, that was on the table for breakfast and she wrote it and she's like oh, there's, a, there's a letter from mummy and daddy from here and she's like what and it was like with big words and wrote it and so then Minka read it out to herself going I was like dear darling we're so proud of uh, all the work you're doing uh, we oh, really like it you. that your reading is really improved and can't wait for a lovely weekend and she was <laughs> reading it and it wasn't until she got in she just went Oh, <laughs> and then there's just two parents just melting, like uh, trying not to cry, not trying not to cry. But I was yeah. just like, I just want because because as a dad, which I reckon is the hardest, especially with the with the daughter, is mm -hmm. like it's something. The greatest example is there is periods where your daughter will hate you, and I know mm -hmm. that will come as a teenager <laughs> and the thought is going to kill me. But they said, all you got to be is be that knee, be that, uh, you know, be that support and just yeah. be there knowing that they're going to be there. That's all you can do sometimes. That's all you can do. And I'm totally. saying, yeah. just knowing that rather than I just don't, you know, cause the time will clash. We yeah. all do with our parents, but I'm just totally. like, like, I just, I was like, I think, Oh my God, I hurt my parents so much. and I know it's going to come my way. Totally. And I think if you, like, I didn't do any performance stuff for ages. And then I, well, I still did, like, you know, my arts degree. And um, that was really, I'm really glad that I did that. But I kind of came back to stand up randomly. Um, like, I didn't even know that was a thing. So now that I'm doing performance again, it's sort of like a nice um, thing of like going back to what I was wanting to do all the time in yeah. high school anyway. So, yeah, it's cool. But um, yeah, I guess you can't really stop your kids from 
doing so, what they want to do. <laughs> so quickly fill us in with what happened. So post your your 89.6, which is a horrendous yeah. story. Yeah. I can't <laughs> so even ashamed. Believe, I can't, I can't believe it. I even invited you on this pod knowing <laughs> that. <laughs> but no, but it, it is in McGrob, just so just McGrob and Melbourne High, it is just ridiculous. It's There's sexy, no yeah. other school that expects that level of expectation. No. To the point where, you know, like it is absurd. The average one is 50. And to think mm. that the whole school is ninth in the top four percent—it's yeah. just insanity. It's not healthy. No, and I did. I actually did my um, master's research on. Um, so I used to be a teacher, so I did um, my master's in teaching, but um, just about how to like support high ability students in like a government school setting or normal school oh, setting. And it's wow. Like, yeah, and it's like the research is actually that it's almost like a special need. So you actually need to rather than just being like just academics, they actually need more emotional and social support than your average kid would. So oh, it's like, that is such yeah. a great topic. Yeah, oh. totally. But um, we didn't get much of that. I think the school is changing, but it needs to basically, you can't just like push someone just academically because um, they won't, it won't be like a long lasting thing or like it'll end up in like anxiety issues. And we had the highest rate of anxiety and depression. In our school. Well, it's, it's, it's super interesting you say that because learning aids, which is huge, is always mm. to for the kids that are falling behind. Yeah. The idea of having a learning aid or like a school counsellor to deal with the emotional support, which quite often will pro- largely from the pressure from the family. Yeah, totally. Just, oh, that is, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I think... Yeah, and just like I think probably stuff like um, theories like that Carol Dweck one is only mm. one, which is like mindset. That, um, yeah, yeah, because we World had I had like the biggest fixed, I had like the most fixed mindset possible in school. It was like yeah. if you're, I was like I was really and it makes you really like a real snob. You're like either some people are smart, some people are dumb. Um, like you just, and it was yeah. like so hard on yourself and so like um, I was like I'm not naturally gifted, so um, I'm not like my friend who's way more gifted than me, but. Just like I really have to, even with comedy and stuff, because I know I'm not like I'm not like naturally very funny or like naturally just you know the life of the party or anything. But I try really hard. So um, yeah, I that's the other thing is just um, developing that growth mindset and being like um, you can work hard at something. And often the people who succeed are the people that work hard and not the naturally True. Yeah. most talented people ever. Carol Dweck's book Mindset has come up a few times. I brought it up mm. because I really love it. I found it like such a. I feel it's almost like a revolutionary book. Like it's like just the simple idea of identifying the way people's focus is on whether it's their talent and innate ability versus it's something that's effort-based or or hard work. Like Ben, even you sort of complimented Minka in the letter by saying how hard you're working as opposed to you're so smart. Because yeah. what it, it even though the intention is good, or you're saying you're so pretty, or you're saying if it's felt like it's being given from a, a source that is in, in their control, when it slightly even deviates from a good result, mm. it assumes then the opposite must be true. So if you're mm. smart, you get good results because you're smart, and that means if you got bad results, you're dumb. That's how yeah. the child <laughs> views it. Uh, whereas totally. if you say you got good results because you worked hard, then you say a result wasn't good enough. It's like, oh, you probably didn't work as hard enough. So it's still within mm-hmm. your control to be able to get the good result again. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that she breaks it down between the fixed versus growth mindset in companies like Enron and how they had a very much a, a fixed mindset where they wanted people to show good results as opposed to how they got it. And the reward was mm-hmm. for the results, not for the effort versus, and how that meant that people were fudging numbers and things like that. But, uh, but I it- find... But it's just on that. But on that note, that that is, and that's why I'm curious what the next generation looks like. Because parents mm-hmm. who have kids now, it is all about complementing the process. 
Yeah. It's all about yeah. supporting the process. So it's like even in the good girl, good boy, it's like, no, that was a great shot or, no, that was super good listening. It's yeah. never yeah. it's never directing it to the, yeah, because the pretty one's a huge one because the generation before that, it's always like, oh, you look so pretty. And that's like, what the <laughs> no. fuck? Like, totally. Yeah. I think, well, it was interesting enough because I have a younger sister who's two years younger than me. Um, and growing up, uh, they, my parents were always like, you're the smart one to me. And like, it was just be like, you need to do everything. Because yeah. You need, and to even my sister, like my, when my dad came to the McRobs test with me, um, I was like crying. Like I was like, he's like, no, you work hard for this. Like you're going to get in. It'll be fine. Um, and then apparently when my sister and him went, because she also went to my school when they were leaving, um, apparently he was like, oh, you probably didn't get in. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Daddy hard enough. But yeah. weirdly, so she ended up doing way better than me. She got like 99.8 or something in her enter score. And then now she's going to Yale. So she's had just like scholarship after scholarship. <laughs> and yeah. Killed it. Um, so yeah, it's like. So there's uh, an element of her would maybe subconsciously or consciously like as a fuck you to you being being branded as the smarter <laughs> yeah, one. She's probably gone totally. as a child going fuck. I'm gonna show you who's smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And because, have yeah. That because it's also the pressure. Because what people don't forget is, especially for people who migrate over here who try to go into the system, like you have no chance of affording a private school, let alone get into the property market. So for the parents, it's like this is your chance. We can't do anything. We can't afford it. Like you know, just getting yeah. you through that system. This is your ticket. If you do not take this ticket. I'm sorry. Mm. And, like, that's a lot to take on for yeah. a young teenager. Like, it just is so totally. full on. I think and that was, like, something we were told from a young – it's like um, my dad would always just be like, yeah, well, we can't – like, it was just, like, always a constant thing of, like, we, we are going to save our money for something else because we're not, like, able to do it. But um, I was actually – because I got a couple of scholarships to go to a private school – two private schools when I was going into grade six to year seven. Um, but my parents – it was, like, still super expensive to go, mm. but I'm, like – and my parents felt like they were like massively failing me because um, they couldn't afford it and all of this stuff. But um, yeah. I'm so glad I didn't go because it would have been, I just feel like if you don't come from money and you go to a private school, you get bullied probably and you feel like you're like even more, like if there's something wrong I with can, you. I can, answer, I can answer that for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you do. You do. <laughs> it was you feel like, like an outsider so the whole time. You feel like an outsider. Yeah. I got, I, to I got a scholarship to a private school as well for my last year. And I remember like just the simple fact that I would bring lunch and everyone else would just buy food from the canteen. I'm like, ooh, la-di-da. Like, my mom had to pack my lunch. <laughs> I, went, I went to one school oh, where yeah. it, it finished in year eight and I couldn't afford, our family couldn't afford to continue on. And mm. I remember I had to leave the school and then everyone started chanting out, Ben is poor. Oh my god! Private schools actually suck. I'm they so absolutely sure. suck. What and, the fuck? Yeah. Are you and I remember this. Are you serious? Uh, this is the end of year eight, and then year nine was this huge sort of boarding school thing that you had to go to, and I couldn't. We just couldn't afford it. Like mum yeah, and dad said, it's "Look, ridiculous. we we can't do this." And then everyone's like, "Are you going there? Are you going there?" And I was like, "Who's who's not going?" And it was like me and the other kid who was going back to Hong Kong. Uh, and then and I remember everyone's. But this is the weird thing. It's like you and I remember just not fitting in but just going on all these ridiculous holidays with parents all the parents were divorced I remember that Every, everyone's mm -hmm. parents was divorced but they were super wealthy and I remember everyone's chanting out Ben is poor Ben, ben is, poor. is poor and then I started joining in Ben is poor well, Ben is poor and I was just like 
And that is that is so stuck because I remember like telling my parents and they said that is so awful you went through that. And I was like, all oh, we wanted wow. you to have a good education, but also it was just a sign of society that I was like, oh, I'm not part of you and yeah. nor will I ever be. No. I don't think it's worth it because I used to be a teacher and it's like the same teachers like go from uh, and I did like you know like the Melbourne Uni teaching course or whatever and like literally they the same teachers just go to each school and yeah you might have a few more resources at a private school but if you don't have like I feel like those emotional scars are way worse than like getting yeah. kids a freaking microscope or something like it's just ah. like yeah that's shit they didn't it's... even go with the rhyme like a good rhyme like poor math I know <laughs> poor math would have been so much better um, <laughs> I, I feel like we need to at some point talk about things like fitness and health. Uh, yeah. Mainly no, on mental like... health. Yeah, this is a but uh but it is sort of it is and I feel like the idea of that 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 men, mental headspace of being highly competitive and and and, and high expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad we had that chat because it is that very thing that unfortunately can tip over too far and it's it's a it's you know it's why I left accounting and got into comedy because I kind mm-hmm. of burnt out by doing something I didn't care about for so long, you know? Definitely. And so where are things now with your folks and you doing comedy and stuff like that where where We'll finish up this chat on that. Like, have they come and seen you perform? And how how has that been? Um, They haven't. um, I didn't really want to tell them to come. I feel still a bit like when I do talk about them um, in my show, I'm sure they would be fine with it, but I feel like it's weird. So I haven't haven't actually seen me perform in ages. Um, How long have you been doing stand-up now? I've actually been doing it for four or five years. Four or five, yeah. I said um, three or four, sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so they've seen me once, but I kind of changed all my set to um, not include anything real. I yeah. still have issues with, I think there's still a long way to go for us to like be fully honest with each other. But um, yep. but I went to visit them in Canberra recently and um, they've moved house there to like a much sunnier, like nicer place. So they're good and it was actually like nice to um, have to see them. So that was good. Yeah. And what about the stuff that you went through in terms of uh, uh, year year twelve or whatever with depression and things like that? When yeah. you look back, what what do you, what would you say would have been? Um, was it? Did you end up seeing a psych? You said you mentioned. Yeah, or, or, yeah. I did, and um, I've seen a few different ones in the past. But uh, recently, I've got one that I saw through um, twenty twenty that's been really good. So uh-huh. I'd say that, but also um, I don't know what's happened. I guess maybe I feel like since my mid twenties, I've just had. I still get anxiety a lot, but it's not as much as it's not so much like depressive as um, it was uh-huh. when I was like in year 12. So I think probably just following getting to really, I've just like made every part of my life, um, like both of my jobs, I like a lot of do stand up and like kind of what, getting to choose all the stuff I like. What have you found fighting... beneficial with your, sorry, Ben, what have you found with your anxiety? Uh, I, I, what I've learned is that sometimes it's not about necessarily ever fixing it but just knowing when to recognize it and when to sort of try and you know kill it early on in the semester spiral and stuff like that what have you found that has been useful for you to be able to kind of navigate when the anxiety kicks in um i feel like it always happens at weird times like it's i uh, usually probably dusk is like i'm just like always anxious at dusk um, oh really yeah it's weird i think it's maybe because um it just that gap between like work and doing a gig sometimes or right. um, if I don't have a gig, then I get anxious as well. So I'm like, what am I doing with my life? So it's, um, it's kind of, I'm still working on how to fix it. I think I just try and do, I think breathing is like actually super helpful. So right. I've been trying to breathe. Sometimes I meditate if I get super anxious, but other times. Do you I do box breathing on things like that? 
Um, no, I just use the Calm app. So Calm that's app, right. usually just Great yeah, app. tells you what kind of reads. Um, so that's been good mm. as well. But often I listen to just like podcasts. So sometimes I feel like just talking to other people is helpful or just listening to someone. Right, right. Yeah. It's the the breathing one seems to be for, for someone who uh, you know I want to struggle with anxiety, but breathing if you can focus on the breathing and it takes it's like you know seeing a different bunch of psychologists, but when you mm-hmm. find a technique that works, you, you just kind of stick to it. Like I know yeah. that I, I get anxious, uh, you know, quite often about health issues or something that quite quite negative. But then it's just that thing where I was like, you know, I spend like what a minute minute and a half just breathing really heavily, really heavily, thinking totally. about the negative thought, thinking about the negative thought, thinking about it and then right at the end I just let it all out drop it off and then yeah. sometimes an answer will come to me other times it won't but yeah. I've just given it that 90 seconds and moved on but you know that Definitely. kind of stuff takes practice it takes time but the and calm the calm yeah. app is is so awesome I have to admit, and I think isn't... even the first few seconds you start doing it it's like part of like you you kind of just need to just commit to like a minute of breathing because yeah. you'll start and you'll be like this isn't working and then you have to push through but a good exercise my like um did with me during 2020 it was like kind of it's like intense to go through with someone but basically she was like um because I guess I started noticing that when I'm anxious it's kind of a lot of the same like it's like a neg- it might just be like you know like I'm an idiot or something like that just like repeating in my head but I wouldn't normally pick up on that but um I, she basically just maybe like say out loud all the negative things that I thought about myself um and when you're actually having to say it out loud to someone it's like ridiculous um, yeah but you're like, no, totally. it felt very invasive I'm like I'm a failure or like anything basically I'd like write this list down of um just everything we'd been talking about in the session and um what, what my go-to like negative thoughts are right um, and then she made me title it um it was like the my my uh maybe like shame and mistrust story or something like just calling it like a story that I tell myself um and then she made me like say it to like pull out this list and um repeat it to myself and tell myself that that's a story I'm telling myself maybe like three times a day or something for a month. Um, yeah, which I thought was really helpful because it's kind of like stuff that you're really familiar with because you subconsciously are telling yourself this the whole day. Um, but just putting it on paper and calling it like one version of like a story that you tell yourself. Yeah. That's great. I've I've called called that my needy sort of like incessant voice. I call it Donnie because it's some big, big Lebowski, John Goodman's character just goes, shut Uh, the fuck up, Donnie. (laughs) And I I find that really interesting. Like it makes me chuckle every time I'm like, oh, Donnie's here. And I just go, shut the fuck up, Donnie. And it just makes me laugh. And it doesn't necessarily like block it out, but at least it dilutes the impact it's going to have. Yeah. Because I have it, you know, sometimes with my kids where they do the negative talk and it is so hard to see a little kid do that where you're like, no, you don't do that. You're, you're amazing. And, and it's just their way of dealing with frustration or that they're nervous about something. But it's that sort of that yeah. sort of positive reinforcement with the process. It was like, well, you know, think about this or take a you know, deep breath or, you know, grab well, I was going to ask, Irby, is there a thing when, as a teacher where you go, because I feel like you can't eliminate negativity or negative talk. At least for me, I found that if I didn't have versions of it, I wouldn't push myself. If I didn't go, hey – you being 125 kilos, it's not good enough. Like you need mm-hmm. to be better. Like I wouldn't have done the work or whatever, yeah. right? Because it is, I need some sort of a reality check, but that 
that negative voice didn't come with your a piece of shit because of it. It wasn't that. Mm-hmm. It was still from a place of love saying, no, 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 you need to get, you know, res- you know, eat less pizza or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I don't want to lose that completely. So with children, as an experience with a teacher or whatever, how uh, did you have any kind of, did they t- have guidelines for you guys in terms of how to approach <laughs> negativity and how to like criticism and feedback and things like that? Um, yeah, I think you kind of have to like let it on the job, but I yeah. feel... They should have that for teachers, but they don't. It's so bad. Yeah. (laughs) It's so bad that that kind of stuff isn't even encouraged or supported. Totally. It should be definitely taught um, more uh, like widely. But I guess um, for classes generally, it worked a lot better, even if like the students were like low ability or something. Um, I think just as a teacher, um, showing that you did believe in them or like showing coming from a place of like, um, I believe in you and you can do better rather than like your shit and you need to get better um, mm-hmm. helps the kids actually do the work more or like feel more into it. But I think there's a few kids that I'm still in touch with. Um, and yeah, it's, it is really hard, especially if you're coming from like a fam- like a lower socioeconomic family and um, don't have much support. It's really hard to kind of develop those positive, um, positive self, I guess. Self-talk. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So yeah. Because try and model it, but it's hard. And that's and that's the thing. I mean, from my partner has been a teacher for many a years, and then is now further, you know, stepped out of the classroom to support mm-hmm. other teachers. It's that thing where it's like, you know, you're not a, a managing one kid's expectations or supporting their education. You're yeah. supporting thirty of them who are at yeah. all different stages. And then on top of that, you're also supporting them not only with their well-being in school, but also their well-being at home. Because then you're dealing with all the sets of parents behind that. And for yeah. a teacher to take that on at a class of 25 to 30 kids with totally. little little to no support sometimes. It's just yeah. like, you know, you occasionally. And the, and the teacher you remember when you go through school is the teacher who cared. They're the mm. ones that you, you remember and go, well, they took an interest in what I'm doing. And if there's a teacher who just wants to get the reports done because they're not, it's just, totally. I'm, always, I'm always blown away that there's not, enough support for teachers to be yeah. able to help the students because you know even in primary schools like you know something you know a kid will say something you're like oh do i have to call dhs like all that mm. kind of stuff mm. where it's just so full-on and so much pressure that no wonder so many teachers burn out oh absolutely yeah it's a broken system and so it's kind of like yeah just um having better techniques or strategies it needs to kind of come from like a school level where um yeah, you kind of have like, you know, what's punishment and what's um, like, how do you listen to the child? So, yeah, it's a bigger problem. But I think, yeah, I mean, you're right about caring and showing that. So That's growing amazing. up with uh, sort of a strict sort of parents, um, having hard um, expectations of yourself and, 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 you know, wanting to be a perfectionist and things like that, how did that manifest in terms of your uh, physical activity? Did you, were you a sporty <laughs> kid or what? And like, how does that approach in terms of like, body image and especially around the idea mm. of like literally we tapped into the fact about skin color and wanting to like fit in and things like that like how yeah. have those experiences which are full-on for a six-year-old obviously um mm. manifested itself throughout high school and the competitiveness and then today like cat, um, I, mean, I used to do like long distance running in primary school but never i think i the only i've never done sports consistently but mm. um i feel like because i was so um just like without support and feeling like shit in year 11 and 12 um, exercise for me was just like a way to get skinnier. And that was, I never really thought about it. as like something to 
make you happy. Um, right. So I feel like I just took that intensity and like wouldn't eat and just exercise and kind of get into like um, body dysmorphia um, places. Uh, yeah. Probably for like every, I feel like I did that like every summer for like three years or something. Um, yeah. So I guess nowadays when I exercise, I try and not make it about like a result and just more about um, just like being happy with doing it at the time and like just being maybe even linking it to creativity and feeling more like clear in the mind. Oh, but okay. I, I, yeah, I was exercising before comedy festival, but I feel like it's hard to keep up with um, yeah. working comedy and doing exercise. It's interesting you mentioned body dysmorphia because you have a bit which you almost opened with about mm. saying that you have a big head. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and I always I'm always watching that bit going. I don't see it. I don't know what <laughs> you're talking about. But maybe it is a thing. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But yeah. like genuine. And I'm not even just saying that just because. But I'm always like. No, it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's fine now. Um, but yeah, I feel like when I was a kid, it was more prominent. Right, right, right. Okay, that, that's that. Like my years are massive. You know, yeah. I have huge years, and uh, and I've learned to love them. My dad yeah. used to try and grow my hair out so that he can cover the ears. And so oh, like really? well, my dad had the same years. So you it almost for, for a while you couldn't see his ears. It, every photo when he was younger is these big curls that are covering over like like funny. you know, both headphones on his ears because he was so insecure <laughs> about it. So whenever I shaved my head, he would hate it because the ears would pop out. I'm like, I don't care, don't give me your shit. Like I don't want your insecurities. But I I, I I had the issue of the big head thing because I've got a big head and I remember as a kid I had to get a helmet. But none of the yeah. kids' helmets would fit on, right? So I was like, I couldn't get one. So I had to get like an adult stack hat. And I've got a picture of me <laughs> on a bike with one of those 1980s stack hats. And I really just look like a toothpick with an apple on the top. Oh. Like I genuinely <laughs> just look so big. And then I remember going, oh, my head's not that big. Till like I was at a market in Dalesford and I walked past and there's this like Scottish guy selling hats. And he just looked at my head and just went, ah. Oh, You've got a massive cranium. <laughs> fucking hell. But then oh, he, he did you something to the side of the street, started shouting, Ben is poor. Ben is poor. <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, so what do you do in terms of exercise? Now, we'll have to finish up on this, yeah. unfortunately. Um, because we, we had such a great chat about yeah. all the other stuff. But, yeah, what do you do in <laughs> terms of... Um, it's probably uh, fitting because I haven't got much to say. I feel ashamed <laughs> that I don't. Yeah, I'm really struggling to find time. Um, I mean, I say that and then I just don't. Like, you when know, you I said before Comedy Festival you were exercising, what were you doing? Mm, um, I was trying to get up and do like some skipping. I feel like skipping is easy and like you can do it anywhere. Um, so maybe like do like 100 skips and then maybe 10 minutes on the um I um I'm really struggling with skipping. My my PT was trying to get me to do it, and I find it so frustrating to not be able to get a rhythm going. Well, when the, the, when you first start out, it's hard. Yeah, it's just the, so much the, pressure on the calves. Yeah, <laughs> you like yeah. to get a pop. Yeah, it's not. You probably don't want to do it on concrete for like too long, but um. Oh. But okay. Yeah, I do. I think once you get into the rhythm, it's fine. And then um, I was doing a little bit of. I've got like one. I've got two weights at home, but one's like 2.5K and one's 3K. Um, so it's nice. like I'm kind of like mix it up with the arms. But um, that's yep. it. I feel like even all of that probably took me about like half an hour, 40 minutes. Um, and then I'm trying to just get out of like even if I did that once a week, that would be good. But um, with me, it's always like all or nothing. And like if I don't do it every day, then 
I failed. So it's um, <laughs> not like a good way to look at it. I yeah. could just do something. Yeah. 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 That, that, com- again, it's that competitive thing. It's like, you know, mm. the fixed mindset, you know? Yeah. You, you, yeah. Like... If I can't do it every day, what's the fucking point? I'm used to some shit. <laughs> yeah. I might as well do none yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. And what about vices? Let's just wrap on that one. What do you reckon is your absolute go to treat? Is Vice. it. Uh, yeah. I feel like I drink too much. Um, milk? No, yeah. <laughs> Way too much condensed milk. Um, <laughs> the white Russians. Just sell my white Russian. Oh, good. Um, no, I'm trying to work on that. I think Comedy Festival didn't help with that either. So, yeah. What um, are your favorite? I yeah. mean, this is more, we, I know we talk about vices as a negative thing, but I talk about it like <laughs> as like a fun thing. What? Yeah, yeah. As someone who's been sober for five years, fuck it, yeah, let me live vicariously. What's your, what's, really your, what's your go-to drop? Um, I feel like if I'm doing a gig, I'll usually have like a glass of sparkling because it's like an energy drink and wine and wine. <laughs> I'm usually Great. pretty tired. Um, Great. <laughs> just be efficient. <laughs> That's the um, best description of a sparkling wine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you should, that's a great bit. Actually. I feel like it would be better for me if I was like a tea hurdler and then I um, did something bad and had to stop drinking because then at least it would be scary. Whereas I feel like I'm just like a functioning alcohol. Like it just makes yeah. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a tough. Whenever someone asks me about them, saying like, "Oh, should I quit drinking?" I'm like, "Well, do you have problems with it? Like, what's Mm. the like? You know, if you're able to like, you know, have a blow of steam maybe once a month or once a week, whatever it is, and it doesn't cause you long-term damage, then why would you stop? Like, my problem was (laughs) I, I was a mess. I was so gross. Like, I had to stop. Like, don't do it if you don't want to. No, it would be good to look into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good no. to check in your, with yourself and ask, is this a version of life that you're actually happy with? Sure. Mm. But I just find it also, funny that when people talk to me like about sobriety, like I'm, you know, being mm. holier than thou about it. I'm like, no, no, no. It's the opposite. It's like, I wish I had control. Like I miss yeah. it every day. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think it's, I think for me, it is linked with anxiety. So I feel like it's like a way of just self-medicating without right. um, having to like do the hard work and meditate. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> also you're super young. Yeah. There's that as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like, do I give up for life now? Or like, like, yeah, like, if, you know, like, it's just, yeah, I just, I really think you're well wiser than if I think when I was, you know, at your age, I was, you know, managing a nightclub in Amsterdam just off my chops. <laughs> hadn't seen the uh, sunlight yeah. in years. So I don't yeah, think, yeah. Less of a, I do less of it than I, my early 20s, so I think. I imagine sometime in my 30s I'll um, get it. It'll kick in again. Healthy, yeah. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> you just have to compete with someone else in school who, at, at, yeah. at comedy who's brown that you want to be better than. You yeah. <laughs> well, there's more people coming on the scene now. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your work day to uh, do this <laughs> chat. Uh, yeah. What would you, where can people find you? What would you like to plug? Um, well, I'm doing, I'm doing a Me Through Blake and Jordan Barr Saturday Room called Deathbed Comedy um, in, at a Club Voltaire in North Melbourne every two right. weeks. Um, yep. And the next one on the 19th of May, I don't know if this will be up by then. Um, Might is, not be, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, don't worry. I was just going to go fundraising. <laughs> That's fine. Easier, but... Oh, okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. But it's like the most annoying. It's like just we made the name Deathbed Comedy like ages ago. And then um, now it's like fundraising for India. It just seems like it's bad taste. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's so embarrassing. Like tagging Give India. They're like, fuck off. We don't want your Deathbed Comedy stupid show. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, that is so good. Jesus Christ, that broke me. Yeah, but we're good people trying to stop. Anyway, it's fine. That is beautiful. <laughs> that is an amazing <laughs> bit of irony. Yeah. Uh, I did, I did, I did have, I did have in my notes about uh, talking to you about India and the situation back there because we had a nice chat about it. But I guess yeah. we uh, didn't get to it. But either way, uh, that's lovely. Uh, we might yeah. maybe then uh, share it on our page or something. Yeah, like no, that. let's do that. Up, even though good. this episode might not come out, but it was the nineteenth, is it? Uh, where yeah, nineteenth of May. Voltaire. Okay, cool. Yeah. Deathbed comedy, raising money. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know. I was like, oh, uh, we, do we do it? Or just, yeah, we uh, do it. yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> just honestly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, well, yeah. And also Instagram, Irvi, what are you? Yeah, uh, yeah. So just my awesome. name, Irvi Mijamda, um, yep. on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Cool. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Uh, we are Fitbit Pod on Instagram and whatnot. Uh, review on iTunes as always helps us out. Ben, you're Ben Lomas Comic on uh, Instagram. I'm Dilruk J on Instagram. Uh, my stand-up continues in Brisbane uh, in July uh, 15th to the 18th, I believe it is, but also Darwin in August uh, 18th. Uh, and um, Patreon listeners, thank you so much for subs- your subscription and your Patreon loving. We absolutely um, love it. Great feedback on the Limo episode, and we've got a. Uh, you would have at this point heard the the uh, the Canadian snacks episode, which, uh, is, which was uh, really fun. Still, um, still recovering from that. Still recovering um, from that. Also, uh, my show with Josh Earl is on sale uh, in Adelaide uh, for the 14th of August. So uh, they will go pretty quickly. So uh, grab some tickets to that. And like Dill said, just the reviews, uh, both on iTunes and Spotify, always helps. It's uh, it's a big one plus Patreon. But, uh, thank you Irvi, again, Irvi. Awesome. Thank right. you so much. See you, mate. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.